Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right, John, it is good to see you and good to hear from you. How are you doing? How's your week been? Oh, man, it's been good, Jalen. Uh, you know, our church is in the midst of kind of a mini series through Hebrews. We're not looking at every chapter and verse, but we have been in Hebrews for the last two weeks now. It's been interesting. I am not on the preaching rotation right now, but I've been sitting in every time we've been recording the sermons and I've definitely been enjoying that. We also had a group of four summer interns just finish their internship this week. And so it was cool to celebrate them and really uh, appreciate their, their service to the church this week. But uh, also just see how our church invests in the lives of young people. I'm, that's something I'm really excited about. What about you? Yeah, I told you last week that we're going through a sermon series in Esther, and that's been really that's been really fun to do. It's been it's been it's been good to hear some feedback on that. But we have missions month coming up, and one of the things that I'm really thankful for with with our church is that we're really excited about missions, global missions, and local missions. And so there's a lot of work and uh, resources and finances that our church puts into missions and. That's something that I'm really uh, grateful that my church does. So looking forward to that. Yeah, it's always great when the church and especially the lay leadership is behind the movements and the things that you guys are doing. So I'm really excited for today, though, because we have a, a new guest on with us. And uh, this is a, is a guest that is near and dear to my heart. We have Joshua Chang on with us. He's the youth pastor at Grace Chinese Alliance Church, which is in Concord, California. Uh, I first met Josh when he was a high school student and he was a member of the youth group I was interning at and watched him kind of grow up and serve in the youth group as a student leader. But then he also interned for me at one point and now we are co-workers in the ministry. So Josh, welcome aboard. We are glad that you're here. And we're also really thankful because you volunteered to help us out with some of our social media posts and graphics and stuff. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and of course, because Josh, you were in the youth group when John was serving as an intern as a, and as a youth pastor, and because you served together, you have to give us a good story about John. Yeah, there is a lot of history between the two of us. And just along with that, yeah, John's known me as a student, as a student leader, as a counselor, as an intern. And so just with all that time spent together, yeah, there's there's definitely bound to be stories. I think John's actually the better storyteller. But I will say in the Christian Missionary Alliance, we have something called the Life Conference. And of all the times that we have been together and of the ones that John has led, there have been injuries every single life conference or like hospital trips that needed to be like taken, uh, whether it was like from my own years as a student or even as I was interning and kind of like serving with him and, and under him. The one time that John, he was like doing some other stuff for the actual conference, so he couldn't be there 100% of the time, and he had tasked me with leading, uh, there were absolutely no injuries, like not even like uh, a scratch. And so I always like to like make fun of John that he's actually the cause of all the youth group injuries, while I have kept everybody safe. 
Okay, in my defense, I think that our youth group students took deep joy in watching me stress out about them getting injured and making me ride in ambulances with them. But I will admit that the one trip that Josh led, there were zero injuries and we had probably had an emergency room visit every year for the last four or five years before that. So I guess it is what it is. Yeah, so my track record is clean so far. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's keep it that way. But your time as an intern was actually a pretty long internship. You were there for two and a half years, and then you headed to the church that you're currently serving at in Concord, California. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your church? What's it like, and how's it been serving there? Yeah, so just a little bit of background. Wheaton Chinese Lion Church, I would say it's around 350 to 400 people. And it was Mandarin, Cantonese, and English, uh, just in terms of congregations. And also a pretty sizable youth group. I think at peak size, when, when John was there, was 80, 90 students. And so that was like what I was kind of used to. Like anywhere from like that 50 to like 90 students, like pretty large youth group, uh, just, just in terms of youth group sizes. And so... Uh, when I heard about Grace Chinese Alliance Church, uh, I actually was like, where the heck is Concord, California? <laughs> and funny story is that whenever I talk to people in the Bay Area, they're also like, where is Concord, California? Uh, even though it's a big town, people just don't know where it is. And so I was just like, well, why did God bring me here? Because Grace Chinese Alliance Church, there's only two congregations, English and Cantonese, and uh, it's a pretty small church. We only have 80 to 90 people total. So like what I was used to for youth group, you uh, have that size for the whole church. And so that was a pretty drastic change for me and also having around like 25 to 30 just on the English side only taking care of a small group of youth as well as young adults. So everything in terms of language, in terms of context and size, it was all different. Yeah. So besides the the difference in numbers of people, what was the biggest transition or what, what have you seen that have been the biggest differences between serving in the Bay Area and in the Midwest, you know, in the suburbs of Chicago? I think one of the biggest things is that something that I might have taken for granted before is just that the Chicagoland is a very theologically rich area uh, because you have Moody there, you have Wheaton there, have Trinity there, you can even throw in North Park there. So just in terms of Christian presence in the Chicagoland, it's huge. People are fed very well there. And so that was one of the biggest differences is because local churches there had a pretty solid theological foundation that they're just, it's just ingrained into the culture. When I first came here, it seemed like, wow, uh, I I have to teach a lot of things that I never really like thought about before, uh, just in terms of theology and just like basics of the faith just because like there are no nearby training centers or whatnot. Well, I shouldn't say there aren't any, but like just in terms of well-known, the the closest one is probably uh, up in Reading, uh, Simpson University. And then you'd have to go all the way down to LA for like bio and such. 
you know, besides the difference in the theological foundation and mm-hmm. people that you were serving, were there any uh, major differences between the students that you were serving just culturally or the way that they approached their own faith or maybe their own ethnicity? Were there any big differences that stood out to you right away? Yeah, I would say just in terms of like culture differences, one of the biggest ones that I felt was that, you know, in the Midwest, uh, going to like a Chinese immigrant church where immigrant parents and their families will go to. Yeah, it was not just spiritual needs that were being met. This is like where you kind of like went to like go hang out as well, Mm -hmm. because you were very aware that you were a minority uh, in the area. Just going to school, like, yeah, the total Asian population maybe was 10 to 15%. And, you know, you kind of just congregated together. Here in the Bay Area, it's it's very different, like different pockets of, of Asian populations. And you don't really feel like a minority and, and you don't have to go to church to feel like, oh, these are my people. Uh, you can literally find that community anywhere. And so that's that's one of the biggest differences is that, you know, Asians are able to find community in different places other than the church. Whereas in the Midwest, it felt like, oh, if I want to find a large group of Asians, then I would probably have to go to church. Yeah, I do really think that coming from the Midwest and moving to the Bay Area, that was something that I took for granted, that church was a very natural place for people to gather. And what an opportunity it was for the churches in in the Chicago area, the Chinese churches in the Chicago area, to reach Mm -hmm. out to new immigrants that I think is pretty different here in the Bay. Yeah, I think with that, do you feel like is it important for the families and the members of your church to belong to a Chinese church then? Uh, Because I do do agree with you. I think that a lot of times people in the Midwest, at least in the Chicagoland area, Chinese people go to Chinese churches because that's where they find community. And that's where they're able to connect with other people who they do feel comfortable with. But is there a difference there then with churches in the Bay Area? Yeah, I would say so. Like people are more career and family centric rather than having all of that and more like in the church. You'll find most times their time will first go to their family, then to their career. And and for a lot of Bay Area natives, like they have generations of family that are there. Maybe even some of the ones that you meet are like third or fourth or even fifth generation. Has there been a difference in ministering to people who are third or fourth generation? Because typically, you know, where we came from in the Midwest, it's mostly first and second generation with a very small amount of third gen folks. So has there been a, a shift in the way that you've had to preach or the way that you've done ministry because of that? Not particularly, because I think to a degree, third and fourth or beyond uh, in terms of generations, they faced some of the same struggles that we face just in terms of race and ethnicity and facing some of those barriers in that sense or feeling like they don't belong. Even if they grew up in a super white town or whatnot, yeah, they would always feel like there was some sort of identity thing that they had to work through. Just speaking to that and seeing okay, how do we sort through our culture, but then also how does Jesus redeem both of those sides in that sense? Uh, I wouldn't say it's like a huge difference, but it's like you're able to identify with them a lot. 
Yeah, and just for clarification for our listeners, when we say first generation, we really are speaking of our parents who immigrated here from Hong Mm -hmm. Kong or China or Taiwan. And then when we start talking about second, third, and fourth generation, those are the generations that are born here after our immigrant parents. And yeah, like you said, identity is such a key part of who we are whether we connect more with our Chinese heritage or connect more with the heritage of our assimilation around us, that can be a tough thing to navigate. So it's awesome that you're doing that with the young people and with your church. Yeah, what's really interesting is that actually one of my adult leaders is like a three and a half generation or something like that, third and a half generation. And so Uh, What was interesting was that when he went to college, obviously he wasn't like white enough to hang out with white people because like there was always cultural or ethnic differences. But then when he joined like an Asian student group, he also didn't fit in because he didn't speak the language. And they're like, wow, you are very like whitewashed. And so he was just like, where do I even go? He definitely had an identity crisis during that point where he was like, who am I? And that's actually when he met Jesus. Do you find that like for especially with the youth, is that one of the major questions that you guys walk through in their high school, teenage years? How do you help them understand that or grapple with that uh, as it relates to their faith? Yeah, it's it's definitely something that have to help them sort through, especially since at home, they probably speak another language. And even though they're with their friends, they mostly speak English, even if they are pretty similar looking. And so helping them identify, you know, what is right and wrong. And they might identify negative experiences with their culture. And so they're more prone to just assimilate into the larger culture. And just with everything being online, it's it's a lot easier to identify with these different pockets and such. I, I remember when I first came here, all the high school students, they had their own little niche already, where it's like they had their own group of friends, They had what they were all about and such. And like faith was just like one of the things that like, they're just like, oh, that's kind of like associated with my parents. They just kind of bring me here. And so because they have other Asians to identify with, they'll they'll be more so in those pockets. They are like, okay, yeah, what is what is right and wrong? And then like actually like sorting through like, okay. What are the aspects of my culture that like I appreciate and maybe the aspects of culture that, you know, I don't really like how I see myself is that I'm just walking alongside them and then showing them an example of, hey, what does it look like to follow Jesus as an Asian American and seeing how do I faithfully follow Jesus just in this culture? Yeah, it's something that I enjoy. It's something that I'm very passionate about pointing to like how Jesus is able to uh, redeem the aspects of how we grew up. Yeah, I mean, you're just living out 1 Corinthians 11.1, right? Imitate me Mm -hmm. and I imitate Christ. And so I I think that's such a powerful way to do ministry and to really demonstrate the gospel to young people because they need to see older folks, whether it's you as their youth pastor or their parents' generation or college students, they need to see all these different generations following Jesus So they have a a picture of what that looks like once they reach that life stage. When they don't have that, oftentimes they're like, well, what do I do now? Because following Jesus was a thing of my youth, but it needs to become a thing that they do for a lifetime instead. It's definitely something that they have to claim for themselves. It's just difficult for them because there are so many things that they can claim. 
Yeah, I appreciate that you used the concept of Jesus redeeming sort of those different aspects of, of our culture and the wider culture that we're in. As Asian Americans, there's a, you know, a specific culture that we live in, embody. And so there's, there's both brokenness and beauty in mm-hmm. our ethnic identity, right? And so I, I think having a, another group of uh, the same ethnic identity gives us an opportunity to explore what, is, what, are, the bro- like, what are the broken parts of our culture um, that Jesus redeems? And what are the beautiful things about our culture that God has gifted us with? And how does Jesus bring those together for us as Asian Americans? And how do we live that out as we follow Christ? And so I'm, I'm thankful that you do that with the youth because that's such a critical age. I know for me, when I was in high school, I needed to be at a Chinese church where I could explore those things and have friends who were working through that with me. So keep pressing on, man. That's good stuff. There are aspects of our cultures that, you know, as Christ followers that we can embrace because they are good and they are beautiful, as you were saying. And then there are definitely parts of our culture where we need to exclude because we follow Christ. It's like either they are harmful or hurtful to either ourselves or to others. Just having Jesus being the filter that we like filter everything through. It's like, all right, as a Christ follower, does this actually align with Jesus? It's not like, okay, do I attach more with, you know, my Asianness or do I attach more with my Americanness in that sense? But it is filtering everything through the lens of Jesus. Yeah. So what do you think are some of those things that are maybe closely tied or uniquely tied to our ethnic culture that we need to embrace and really demonstrate to the rest of the kingdom. Because I I think about how just this diverse church is going to have a lot of different things. They're going to reflect different parts of Jesus's character, and they are going to offer different aspects of themselves to the global church. And sometimes I wonder, what is the Chinese American church's contribution to that? The black church, I think it's some of it's going to be gospel music, or maybe in the Korean church, it's like this emphasis on prayer. But then I have to think through what, what is it about who we are that we're offering and bringing to the table? Because there's something there. I'm just sometimes it's hard to quantify or, or hard to describe. Yeah, I think that's a hard one because part of it is that we're so immersed in, you know, because we've probably grown up in Chinese churches and we haven't been exposed to a lot of other ethnic specific churches or you know, majority culture churches that the ethnic church that we're a part of, the Chinese church that we're a part of, that's just normalized for us, mm-hmm. right? And so what does it look like to, to exist or to function in a church that's non-Chinese? One of the things that was really eye-opening to me was every Chinese church that I've been a part of or I've visited has church lunch, or at least used to have church lunch. But that's really unique to the Chinese church or a lot of Asian churches. And there's something about table fellowship that is extremely meaningful, especially as you look at the way that Christ interacted with his disciples. Table fellowship is so important. And that's something that, you know, it might seem very inconsequential because you're just eating together or you're having food, but there's a deep sense of fellowship and connection and unity that you're, you're breeding during those times. And so I think I really, you know, appreciated for a time being outside of a Chinese church and missing those church lunches because that was a time for families and individuals to connect. Something about food breaks down barriers. Well, I do think that if the Chinese American church's contribution to the kingdom is church lunch and food, I'm okay with that. 
I do, I do think about our parents' generation and just the long suffering and patient endurance that they had to kind of get us to where we are. I do think that mm-hmm. there's something to learn for the rest of the church about that. But even I think when I think specifically about second generation and beyond, I'm still trying to figure out what that is. So maybe that's what we can try to discover on this podcast. What is yeah. the Chinese church's second generation's contribution to the global church? Mm-hmm. When I think of like just our worship or our prayer, like there are other like Asian groups that do it more uniquely than we do in that sure. sense. Uh, when it's like when you think of prayer, yeah, we think of Koreans and like they are just so passionate when they pray. And we definitely have had friends that have been a part of those early morning prayer meetings right. that I would just be like, why do you guys wake up so early? Yeah. I'm like, my brain doesn't even function at that time. And then well, I think it's interesting that you're saying like the about even like how we worship and maybe even a lot of times like our our preaching style, it can still sound very like white. And I think if you were to just walk in with your eyes closed, what are some things in the Chinese church that, you know, in our Chinese churches that would separate out, at least in our English ministries, right? How, how would you differentiate between like an English ministry at a Chinese church? versus at a white church. And there might not be a lot of difference, at least from songs mm-hmm. that we choose to sing, uh, how we sing them, uh, sermons, and maybe more so it's, it's probably, you know, that, that puts a little bit more burden on the pastor or the preacher to be able to speak, you know, contextually or to connect with an Asian American audience. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this is definitely a question that's huge that we got to keep exploring. When you mentioned that, I'm just thinking like what I desire for like our English congregations. And it would definitely, one aspect would definitely be family. And one, another aspect would be all generations. And I think the reason why is because I think there's something powerful about multiple generations of a family worshiping together. And just as you go down the generations, I think it becomes even more powerful because there is that wealth of experience that you see from the older generation. And then there's also the passion and the energy of the younger generation that needs to be there. I think that's like what I desire is that like for the whole family to be able to eventually like be able to worship together but that's also one of the problems that we have i'm just thinking of the millennial generation my own generation right now we have exited the chinese american church and it's very heartbreaking in that sense i know i'm the one being interviewed but what are some of the problems that you guys see in the chinese american church we can talk about this I don't know if it's a problem so much as it's a challenge and it's Mm. a reality that we have, but it is hard sometimes for an older first generation church to pass faith on to the next generation, largely because of language. And when you are not communicating with the same heart language, it can be tough to really be open and to share. And you have to be really intentional about sharing what God has done in, in that generation or in every generation to pass faith on. I mean, generational transference was God's original intent and design for passing faith on, right? It was supposed to start with the families and go on. But I think as we've gone and as we've realized that we're broken people, sometimes the family is not enough. You need the help of the the full church, the full family of God to pass faith on. And 
got to find ways to do that from one generation to the next or from the first generation to the second, even if it means crossing language and culture barriers. It's interesting when you say that because that was definitely true for my family is because both of my parents, they were part of the Mandarin congregation. But yeah, yeah when I went to school, you know, the friends that I hung, hung out with, you know, even at church, like I would worship, I would pray in English. We actually never really talked about faith until I would say after college, where I spent more time at home and actually took the time to intentionally get to know my parents. Uh, and they took the time to intentionally get to know me. And so, yeah, I would say all through middle school, high school, my formative years, that was definitely a separation. Yeah, not communicating like faith issues with my parents. It was mostly with peers. It was mostly with the youth leaders and youth pastors uh, that, yeah, that I've been with. Yeah, I wonder how, how many of us really know our parents' faith journeys and know the stories of how they came to Christ. And my guess is that when we hear them, we would be really encouraged and blessed by them. But I feel like I don't know them. I barely know them from my own family. I hardly know them from my friends' mm-hmm. um, parents. I think related to that too, because that lack of communication happens in smaller uh, nuclear family units, it transfers over to the larger church, right? And so when you start to talk about the cross-congregational relationships, it kind of mirrors that relationship between first-gen and second-gen families. Often there's not healthy learning and listening to one another cross-congregations, it took a lot of time for even just simple discussions about our faith to happen in our, in our family. How much more challenging is that in our churches when we have multiple congregations and uh, multiple leaders of those different congregations? And so I think one of the challenges is certainly paternalism because the English congregation usually is birthed out of the immigrant congregation. And so for so long, the English congregation is made up of children and youth But then as they grow older, there's a need for the English congregation to become a little bit more independent or autonomous. But they're hitting a wall because the first generation are the parents who will sometimes have a a difficult time saying, you know, we know better. And so you're just going to do what we say. And so the the English congregation uh, may have difficulty learning and listening to the older generation because they've thrown everything out because they've, they've been met with a little bit of resistance. Uh, and that's where it takes, I think, you know, some humility from, from both congregations, certainly from the English congregation to say, hey, we don't know it all just because, you know, we're Asian American uh, and we live in this, you know, in this society, in this culture. Uh, and we do need to listen and learn from the first generation congregations. I like to refer to that wall you speak of as the bamboo ceiling that we hit and have to find a way through or really look for first generation people that will champion us to kind of overcome that ceiling. You know, Josh, we really uh, appreciate you being on the podcast with us. We want to just wrap up with one last question. You've been in ministry for a, a few years now. And so while in some regards, you have a lot to learn, you also have learned much and gained much wisdom in this process. So what is one thing that you would pass on one piece of advice or one encouragement that you would like to give to someone serving in a Chinese American context that's coming behind you? You definitely have to be willing to work through the broken systems that already exist within immigrant churches. We've mentioned a few, but those are only a few. I think I've only just 
scratch the surface, even though I feel the effects of it all the time. And I think that is what scares away most second generation and beyond is because they know that the systems yeah at these churches are broken and it's hard to like break through or be involved they don't feel valued or cared for so they go to other places to feel like they are something but yeah uh, i think just as a second generation it's like we have to be that bridge because the immigrant congregation they are valuable. And it, I think it is a valuable ministry that immigrants that come don't have to learn another culture, don't have to learn another language to hear the gospel of Jesus. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, with leadership being from that generation, it's like they might hold on to their leadership tightly. And we have to be willing to fight for our place. Uh, and it's, it's tough to say that because like, man, these are our own people and we have to fight for our own place at the table. And that's kind of crazy, but I think that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to step into the broken systems and, and allow Jesus to work through us just in terms of presence, allowing Jesus to work through us to, to redeem those broken systems. I don't think it's possible with just the first generation, I don't think it's just possible with multi-Asian, multi-ethnic churches. There is unique ministry opportunities that we have here at Immigrant Churches that, you know, it could turn into something really, really beautiful if it's done well. And we need to be willing to be involved in it. Yeah, it's tough for sure. But yeah, you have to be willing to sit at the table. You might, you have to be willing to be involved to see the change that you want. And that's really important just as more immigrants or as we see third, fourth, fifth generation, like growing up in these churches, if they don't have people to look up to and people that they see that are fighting for a place, then they're also going to leave because that's the example that has been set for them. Uh, and so, yeah, please come back <laughs> in that sense. The, the immigrant church needs you and, and next generations need you. Yes, absolutely. That's a good word, Josh. Thanks for sitting at the table with us. Mm -hmm. Thanks for allowing your voice to be shared. I think that it's great advice to share, to sit at the table, to listen and to learn, but also to contribute as well. And so that's a great example that you're setting to be faithful, to keep pressing on because it is a long road ahead. So thanks again for joining us, Josh. Thanks for having me. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.